Welcome to Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Light the match, throw some gasoline on, and buckle up because we're about to take your business to the next level. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. I'm a graphic designer with over 23 years of experience founding and running my own company here in California. For the month of March, we're taking a look at a diverse group of entrepreneurs with one important thing in common. All of them have developed tools that seek to change the way we build and manage a business. These are programs, software, and other examples that endeavor to make communication more streamlined, give you more options to evolve your business, and show you how to unlock your true potential as an entrepreneur. We all know outsourcing works. However, we also know that sometimes finding the perfect employee for a specific need for your business is easier said than done. There are tons of places to find freelancers, but this can lead to a kind of trial and error process. You may have to waste time and even money to find the people you're looking for. Staffing and recruiting agencies are out there to help streamline the process. For many entrepreneurs, this is a solution they've been looking for. In 2019 alone, the U.S. sales for staffing and recruiting sector hit $161 billion, billion with a B. Again, if you're having outsourcing woes, a staffing agency slash recruiting center can help. Yet for some business owners, the struggle to find a truly unique staffing solution is still real. Is there a human element missing to this industry? Do you think that's what you've been missing in your own recruitment goals? Our guest today might be able to help. Even with the proliferation of staffing agencies and recruitment companies, some entrepreneurs and business owners still find it challenging to find someone that they can truly bring a singular solution to a singular goal or problem. Andrew Aston, the founder of the Human Element Company, wants to change that. He believes that each company actively recruiting outsiders has a unique culture with unique demands and other considerations. It takes, in his mind, a human touch to truly address what each company needs from his staffing and professional services company. I'm excited to talk with him about the challenge of of running a recruitment company in 2021 and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Uh, So, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, Obviously, we're in unprecedented times, extraordinary times. So um, we've just adjusted as an organization as we did individually with the cancellation of school to moving to homeschooling, with the cancellation of offices being open, remote. Uh, The good news is we have been fully remote with distributed teams since 2019. Um, That was on pure chance. It had nothing to do with planning other than the fact that we as an organization spend tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars on offices. Um, and when I kind of took a litmus test of the mm. team, they said, I could do this 100% remote. In fact, most of the times that I'm talking with candidates are not going to be during the normal business hours. So we made that decision in 2019 to go sure. fully distributed teams across the country um, and allow everybody to work when and where they wanted. Now, that works for us because of what we do as an organization. A lot of companies don't have that option when it comes to manufacturing or engineering, or, you know, if you're working with an actual product, it's, it's that much more of a challenge because you have to be on site. 
not very many people have the option to put an engineering shop in their own backyard to knock out what they have to do professionally. Absolutely. So a lot of our clients have kind of engaged and looked at this challenge with COVID to be, can they move things a little bit more remote? Technology tends to be the biggest one because as a system administrator or a developer, you don't need to be on site. Or, you know, if you're doing UI UX or anything that requires technical, you could do that remotely as long as you can log in through a safe, secure internet connection. So we've adjusted. Sure. It's great. Um, our clients that we're seeing now are kind of ramping back up, going full speed into, you know, onboarding people again and getting back on. And I think, there's, you know, this, the pendulum is going to swing back to office um, because a lot of companies want that for people to build their teams. So it's, ve- it's, ver- it's a unique challenge sure. to build a culture mm-hmm. with a distributed team. And we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I think a lot of companies like the onboarding process on site to see the culture. They take great pride in their office. They take great pride in their in their brand and in the in the company culture and, and what they're developing. So I think we're going to see a lot of companies go back to go back to the office setting. Okay, perfect. So let, let's take a step back for a second. First, I kind of want to give you, you know, that elevator quick speech of who you are and what the element company uh, does and provide services for your clients. Okay. So a, a quick rewind on to my experience. I have been in the, the recruitment industry since Y2K. Um, I've been very, very blessed with the opportunity to start my career in Canada. Um, so I had a good understanding of the recruiting process outside the U.S. And then I moved to the U.S. in two, 2001. So I've been 20 years in the U.S. markets uh, recruiting. And I've done literally every position. From sourcing to recruiting to coordinating to account manager to market manager to director of professional services to founder. And, and this is now my second company that I've successfully founded. Um, so that's really kind of my history in the industry. I started my first company in 2009 during the worst recession. Um, and we grew that over the next seven years to be about a $10 million organization when I exited the company. Um, mm. successfully exited the company. Um, okay. I started the human element company because uh, I think it was the one piece that was missing for s- both small, medium, and large companies. When it comes to critical roles, you don't just need a resume. You don't just need a resource. You need an individual that's going to fit seamlessly with your company's culture, mission, drive, and organization. All of those things. Technical skill set, yes. Can they learn your company's operations on the job? Yes. But if they're not going to fit from a cultural perspective, that's key. Because if they do fit and they do become a part of the team and merge seamlessly, that is when the magic happens. That's when it feels like you've had an employee working for you for the last 20 years and they've been with you for three months. You know, the 40 hours go by like that. People are getting job, you know, their job done. They enjoy going to work. They get up every morning and say, I'm excited to go work alongside Jane Doe. That was the piece of the human element that I wanted to put together. Um, 
to separate I, in a, from a competitive marketplace, there are thousands of recruiting companies, thousands all over. And every market that you go right. to will be different teams. So I always encourage any of our clients to work with people that they like. Um, if you get a good feeling from working with Jane Doe, then work with her or, or John Doe, then work with them. If you're not getting the results that you want, shop around. You can't. But for our organization, we wanted to create something that was just more than sending a client to you, said client, just a resume. For us, that wasn't the goal. For us, right. we wanted to send an individual um, the human element and make make that different. So what we do that's different than everyone else is we actually meet virtually with everybody we work with. So my sources, my recruiters all over the country take the time to do something similar to this, which is to schedule a time to meet and talk with someone. So when you have that eye-to-eye -eye contact, you start naturally, human instinct is building that relationship with someone. So just by having that okay. conversation, we're, mm -hmm. we're able to put someone at ease to understand where their goal is professionally uh, from a drive perspective we start to understand are are you know are they do they have a family are they just getting married we start to build that relationship where we pull out more of who they are as a human being that's the piece that is going to make the difference for our clients on them having success or them turning around in 90 days and saying Jane Doe didn't work out we need to reevaluate this so that truly sums up the human element company so okay. when i work with clients who say to me, you know, Andrew, we need to hire 50 people in the next year and I just need, you know, butts and seats in their commodity that doesn't work for us because it's just, they need, sure. Not a good you fit. know, 50 people on an assembly line to, to package a product. That's not what we do. So we're, we're an organization okay. that can say, say, I need someone to help me. Let's say, for example, in your industry, UI UX. Okay. That's great. Art is in the eye of the beholder, right? But for us to understand sure. what Ignite Your Business needs, we have to understand your culture, which means I'd have to spend time with you and understand where you want to go with this. Because we could provide you with a UI UX developer with a great por portfolio, but if it doesn't align with what you guys want to do creatively and change businesses and Ignite things, it's not going to yep. work. They're going to they're get bored. Sure. So by us talking to those candidates and meeting them and understanding that Jane Doe is three-year recent graduate and she loves to challenge herself technically and try new things and she loves you know an entrepreneurial startup environment, you're not going to get that from a resume. But from a conversation and understanding right. Jane, where she wants to go, I'm then able to provide you with a resource that's going to align with what you're trying to do with Ignite Your Business and help other organizations. Okay. So I want you to kind of think back a little bit on this, but at what point in your professional or even personal life did you realize you wanted to go into recruiting and staffing? I didn't. There's, there's never a day, and I think you can ask any recruiter who's been doing this professionally more than five years, no one wakes up in a, you know, college university days that says, boy, I really want to be a recruiter or even an entrepreneur. No one does that. It's just something that kind of 
you fall into, uh, you know, my background, I was a banker before I got into recruiting. Mm. Um, and the story of how I fell into this organization, into this vertical of what we do, is I went to go interview for a business director job of selling fi a financial product in the Canadian market to, and in Canada, there's only four major banks. So this company had developed a software using C++ almost like um, it's like mm -hmm. a it's like a class CRM platform for banking and they wanted me to sure. actually come in because of my banking and, and manage those four banks and try and sell their product and increase their market share um, interesting enough when I walked mm -hmm. into the building he had 12 12 developers sitting in kind of an open area concept development workshop and out of the 12 developers I knew five of the engineers personally so that's literally how I fell into it. I went in for a job to sell software, went in, knew all the engineers, and they had a very small arm that they did recruiting. So they, they were constantly trying to find good engineers, and they spun that off into a recruiting shop of them interviewing the engineers and the ones that they didn't handle or take on, they were placing with other clients. So that's literally how I fell into the industry. Hmm. No, one, no one wakes up and goes, wow. Gosh darn it, I want to be a recruiter in my life. It, it usually doesn't happen that way. It usually happens almost by circumstance of, hey, we need, you're a manager of the help desk. We need you to, you know, recruit. And then, you know, somehow you follow that lead and, and realize that it's, you're either good at it or you're not, unfortunately. I, I would imagine that it's not, you know, thinking back to elementary school days, it's not, you know, you have the uh, <laughs> kind of career day where you've got, parents in certain careers that come in represent their industry so you got the police officer you got the firefighter you got the let's say athlete or something typical businessman yeah. and then you got the recruiter and everyone's like oh forget about all those others i want to be a recruiter that's exactly yeah. what i want to do when i grow up is be a recruiter <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't happen I, and there's so many different variants like some people are introverts some people are extroverts Obviously, uh, you, you can tell by me I'm more of an extrovert. But some of the best recruiters I know are, com <laughs> are complete introverts. And I'm not joking. They're amazing, but they don't like to put themselves out there. But they feel very comfortable behind a virtual camera and talking to someone and opening up. But they would never do that in the actual physical real world. And I've worked with some of the, the best recruiters, and they never, literally never wanted to meet anybody. But virtually, it was a safe space for them to do it, and they felt comfortable, and they owned it and crushed it. But in normal life, they would never go out and introduce themselves to someone at a coffee shop or in the, the line at a grocery store. So it's amazing how you, 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 you don't have to be an extrovert in this industry in dealing with people. It's pretty amazing to me that some of the most successful people are complete introverts. That's very fascinating. All right. Well, we just struck the match on our conversation with Andrew Aston. When we come back from this short commercial break, we're going to throw some gasoline on our conversation, get into Andrew's marketing tactics for the Human Element Company. We'll be back after this quick message from our sponsor.
Welcome back to Ignite Your Business Radio. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm, and we're back with Andrew Aston, founder of the Human Element Company. Andrew and I are about to discuss marketing and staffing and even professional services company during a global pandemic. So how has, we talked a little bit about this at the very beginning, but how has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted the way you market your business, the Human Element Company? So COVID-19 dramatically changed our industry completely. Um, it stopped a lot of businesses from even operating. Uh, a lot of the companies that were supporting the studios were one of them. Yeah. That business just completely sheltered. So we pivoted as an organization and were focused on companies that were thriving during the pandemic. Those tended to be companies, either technology companies or companies manufacturing or essential services. So the marketing piece, we didn't change at all, but our actual end client changed, if that makes sense. So COVID changed who we were marketing to, okay. not how we were marketing, if that, if that makes sense. So what we did is we pivoted to the smaller clients and the mid-range clients, because that made better sense. Again, we are not a commodity. The human element company isn't going to put a thousand people to work in seats for you know Google or Facebook. That's sure. not what we do. But we will put critical people in critical roles. That's what we do. So our marketing more went to the quality piece for companies during COVID, where people didn't necessarily want to risk having a lot of people come through. So they wanted to work with companies that by the time they got someone, they could make a decision, you know, one or two candidates, bring them in because during a COVID, sure. you don't want a revolving door of people coming through your door. The people who are coming into your organization or you're opening up your circle, you want to make sure that they're going to be a fit. So our marketing didn't change at all. It really stayed sure. to that human element piece and the quality piece we just pivoted to other organizations instead of serving our, our, our larger clients. A lot of them were, had, had shut down or at least put everything on hiatus. So for us, it was just more of moving the target to a different size client. But the marketing and the message stayed the same. So pre-COVID, how were you going about marketing your services? How were you getting the name out there for... At the time, it sounds like the studios, some of these other very large companies, how were you going about getting your name out there in comparison to even your competitors from the marketing approach? So how we do it is based on referrals. If we do a good job for a client, chances are they will introduce us to two right. or three. So a lot of it is by word of mouth and delivery of said projects. The more that you deliver great candidates that are helping companies thrive and organizations thrive, the higher the chance that they're going to refer you to their friends in the industry. Um, so that was our main marketing piece was by word of mouth. Um, when COVID hit, we shifted that okay. to now focus on smaller companies that were hiring. So our marketing approach has been very, very soft. It's not an aggressive approach. We have a sourcer who will send out a LinkedIn information. First, look at the companies. 
see where their challenge points are. Why, why are they hiring? Most likely because it's growth. We don't want to engage with clients that are just constantly turning over or a bad environment um, because that doesn't bode us well. It doesn't bode mm-hmm. our candidates well, and it never works out. So we focused on companies sure. that were hiring during the pandemic, and then we would send them you know, a very soft LinkedIn invitation. And then that invitation would go through to either the CEO or myself. So it was very kind of organic how we approach it. We don't, there's no mass emailing. It's very targeted for the companies that we're looking for. So it sounds like pre-COVID, you had more of an inbound marketing, which had taken, I'm guessing, not just months, but years of establishing relationships with these very large clients, big companies that you've been working with for a while, which would then in turn give you the referrals and, and just good words spreading throughout the industry. Like you have to use the human element company if you want good staff. So that, that makes 100%. sense from the referrals. And then once COVID hit, it, it, it appears and sounds like from what you're describing is that then you had to go more outbound marketing where you had to go out there Correct. and kind of kill it, drag it back home to the cave and, you know, do with it what you will. But you actually found the approach by doing the research about these clients and ideal kind of customer base size or, or the rather the company size of these new clients that you're going after a little bit smaller. You do your research, you see how often kind of turnover is, you avoid those, focus on the ones that, okay, these would be a good fit doing soft approach, reaching out, but just continually be following up with them, connect with them and start now building what you did. It sounds like for the larger ones years ago, now you're now taking that approach still the same way, but establishing the relationships with the smaller, maybe mom and pop shops or the medium sized companies out there and even smaller uh, that now it's just a little bit different of how you've taken the approach with inbound, mainly that you're being able to count on to now going a little bit more outbound. Yeah, it's just, it's definitely more targeted um, because we are looking for those companies from, you know, I would say 30 to 500 employees that are looking to scale, that are looking to grow. And, okay. and usually we're looking for companies that are growing because of opportunity within the market. They're either, especially with COVID, why were they growing during COVID, right? What was that market force or that company, yep. why they were growing? Those were the companies we wanted to speak to, align with. And a lot of those companies struggle when they're, Let's say between twenty five and uh, you know two two to three hundred employees, they may not have a huge human resource team, talent acquisition team, um, onboarding team, process like that. If they haven't invested the time into that vertical of HR, talent acquisition, talent training, development, all of that, they may not be armed to to have that growth. So part of the marketing that we did was sure. to find those sense. clients. <laughs> And then we adjusted what we did, not only as an outside agency, but we created Scale Your Organization, where we offered the service of coming in as your internal team and handling all the job postings, handling everything, their application tracking system, their onboarding, helping them build that practice. Because a lot of companies don't have it or don't invest it. They're so focused on their business, which they should be in growth, that they haven't focused on scaling up their team to where they need it, or they, they hit that critical mass where they need to hire 10 people. And everybody goes, 
well, we could just hire 10 people. Let's put out a job posting. If it were that easy, every, right. every, I, we wouldn't have, would you say how many billions in the recruitment industry? If it was easy to hire 10 161 people? 161 billion, I think. Yeah. It was. yeah. If it were easy to hire people, there wouldn't be $160 billion flowing through agencies um, in, in that that's marketplace. True. I mean, that's Very a true. massive marketplace. I want to touch on something real quick that yeah. you mentioned because it's been coming up more and more and it's in my mind, one of those foundations of marketing and you, you lightly touched on it, but you were talking about, you had that target approach of who you went after now having to shift gears a little bit. And what you're talking about is really understanding the the demographics of your ideal customer at that time. So when you made the shift, you're like, okay, we need to establish very quickly for us even to stay in business because our main bread and butter has kind of come to a grinding halt. We need to now find an additional source of revenue of clientele that our services Mm -hmm. would be a perfect fit for. So you then quickly had to establish what does your client look like? You know, what size company, what size uh, em- employment force do they already have or staffing uh, that they already have in place that are needing this? Avoid the ones that have high turnover, because like you said, it's not a good fit for your type of culture that you bring with it. But so you've you had to establish a very, very defined ideal client yeah. and kind of almost reinvent yourself from that marketing approach right then and there. And a lot of businesses, especially small ones, I think avoid that because they feel like oftentimes it's that, yeah, but everyone's my client. (laughs) Well, not really. Not everyone is your client. I mean, yes, you might have a general enough service or a general enough product that at first glance seems like it's a good fit for all. But when you really break it down, it's really specifically for a certain target audience. And you should, and we talk about this as kind of that descriptive words to say, well, you kind of have to paint the picture of who your ideal client is. It's not a metaphor. It's actually true. You need to have a visual of what your ideal client looks like. And I guarantee you, they're a certain gender, they're a certain age, they make a certain amount of money per year, they typically live in a certain area, generally, like a pocket you know, state or city or certain cities across the U.S., but you should be able to picture that person of exactly who they are. So I think a lot of businesses miss that point and they just kind of go, well, the pandemic happened. Now everyone, it's the wild, wild west, and we just need to pick up any client we could possibly get our hands on. Well, it's funny you say that, but... um... That some of the best success we've had with our new clients have been from one of our sorcerers. And her introduction mm-hmm. on LinkedIn is as simple as, and I'm not making this up, is to, to find the company, research the company that we would be ideal for us, right? Has A through right. C, A, B, C, D, E. Mm-hmm. Those are our requirements. It's, you know, under 500 employees, somewhere in the U.S., Technology, marketing, sales positions, open positions with an existing team. Okay, that, that's our criteria. Well, our sourcer, yep. our, the introduction to them is, I would like to connect with you. It wasn't, here are my services, here's what I can... It truly goes back to the human element piece. 
Then once yep. that connection is made with the head of HR or the CEO or the CTO, I notice you're looking for people. I would love the opportunity to introduce my chief people officer or our CEO. Great. Sure. Then that starts another dialogue. So it's it's very targeted marketing for that client. As you said, we have defined the type of clients that we want to work with. And then it's a very right. human element, soft approach. A lot of the clients that I talked to during COVID, their entire sales team and marketing team were under so much pressure. So the voicemails, right. I would yep. I would talk to my clients and they'd be like, Andrew, I have 22 voicemails today from our vendors asking for business. And I'm like, yep. uh, wow, I can't believe that. Instead of a soft email, hey, Jane Doe, I just wanted to make sure you are doing okay. And hopefully you and your family are safe. Yep. The, the polar opposite was happening is, hey, Jane Doe, I just want to know if you're going to have any requirements for us to work on. And can you send any business? Or, I mean, you see the difference in the approach, right? One is give me and the other is, Big hey, difference. how are yep. you? Right. So I think I think this kind of change happened naturally through COVID. And I would assume, I hope that it continues on that path that you ask about the individual first rather than the business, if that makes sense. That's something right. that we right. we as a culture really try and push through all of our people that work at the human element company is when you reach out to a candidate, the first thing you want to talk to them about is, are you, how are you doing? And I, I looked at your background, right. sounds great. But I'm calling you because I have an opportunity, but I want to know, are you working right now? Because through this COVID yep. experience, there were people that many people that we engaged with across the board that weren't doing well mentally or that right. didn't yep. want to go back to work that didn't want sure. to go into an environment. So that changed our business acumen of rather than battling someone just to get them a, you know, a better rate hourly or salary bump was we had to have the conversation. Are you comfortable going back into an office setting? And, you know, there was a percentage of people that said no. So it, it, it kind of changed sure. and, and that really focused our strategy and marketing to have that human approach when we did it. Very targeted on clients that would make sense for us to work with. And then if we approach it from the human element perspective from the beginning, we're already setting the tone with that shareholder, that C-level executive, that HR head of human resources, that if that's how we're going to approach them as a client, we're going to do the same thing when we're approaching our candidates to, to get them introduced. So it just set the tone for us. Absolutely. So staffing agencies, by the very definition of what you do and you're about, has to do, obviously, with human beings. Uh, human mm -hmm. beings being staffed at businesses as needs arise. But how then do you effectively market your agency with the primary focus on the human element? And then you kind of talked a little bit about it by your approach or, or your mm -hmm. staff and how you all as a human element are reaching out to companies where it's a little bit different, but how do you go about marketing? So you, you've effectively gotten a hold of the target business owner or the decision maker within the Correct. business 
that would be yep. working with you to help, you know, staff their needs. They need staff. You have staff. And so you're going to work through them and find the best candidate. But before you even get to that point, they obviously are being hit up by a ton of other agencies, especially during COVID. As you said, everyone's scrambling oh, yeah. to figure things out. They're trying to get business coming in the door. But how do you go about saying, look, we're different than the other ones that are contacting you right now, not just by how I initially got in contact with you, but let me show you the difference between our candidates that we have, our, our available workforce for you versus those mm -hmm. other agencies and their workforce that they have available for you. So it's, it starts with that initial conversation. Um, once we had the attention of the shareholder, C-level executive or whoever's doing the hiring, we, we slow things down. So one of the first things that we do is say, great, we'd like to schedule a time either on-site for us to come visit and see the environment, um, if it's safe, or if we're even welcomed by the client to do it. A lot of clients are not opening. Or what we do is we start a virtual session just like this. This is where we're going to sit down and talk about the mission statement of the company, what the company does, where the company is growing, where is the goal of that company growing, and the culture of that division or group or hiring. Because if I work with company X and there are two, two different managers responsible, one's in charge of sales and marketing, one's in charge of technology, it might be a complete, completely different experience mm -hmm. working in the same company under those two different managers. So for us, it's really important for us to be speaking with the shareholders, the hiring managers to get an understanding of their style. Are they rigid with expectations of KPIs, macro management, micromanagement? Is it remote? Is it on-site? Those are all things that you're not going to be able to decipher from a job description. A job description sure. is a wish list of skill sets. But right. I assume working with you would have different challenges than working with, let's say, uh, the marketing department of the University of Southern California. It's going to be a completely different experience. So for us, it's really diving in. Do they understand, do our clients understand what their mission statement is, what their culture is? So by asking those questions, we're getting them to think about that. Um, and that that really helps us. I, I, I have given conferences on how to build your culture because a lot of people just start with a mission statement and a business mm -hmm. objective and a business plan and that's it. And you take sure. that acronym and you put it up on the wall and all right, team, everybody, this is what we're doing. Well, that's not really a culture, right? Yep. That's, that's a, that's a goal, right? So that's a mission statement or a business. Plan. Well, and, but and and we'll get we'll get into culture a little bit later because I, I do have some questions for you about that and I appreciate mm -hmm. you sharing that and and even in some ways teasing us a little bit about that but um, I, I want to kind of make a, a shift over into you've been doing or a part of the staffing industry for some of the largest companies on the planet for decades now yep uh, thinking back to your early days of you just getting started you know how did you go about and I, I know it's different and certainly COVID has had a I kind of think of it like trees 
uh, when people cut down trees, <laughs> they can see the rings around the tree and they see they can yeah. they can tell a lot about uh, the age of the tree. Also, too, what environmental impacts have happened during those years. You know, if there was a drought, if there was major flooding, any of that kind of thing. And so we as humans will certainly have a very large ring that is associated with COVID in 2020 and somewhat yep. into 2021. But and I, I realize that marketing has shifted, but I want you to think back to your early days. How did you go about? So you're like, OK, you, you met those engineers at the bank. You initially went in for the interview and it kind of you quickly from that point realize like, oh, this might be something I want to do. You're going out there now to kind of market yourself. This is before you know what you know now. How did you go about kind of pushing out there your marketing you're marketing yourself, your expertise and your skill set to either businesses that you were going to go work for or uh, even clients that you're trying to have come on board for you? So phenomenal question. Uh, really great question. I started probably at the beginning of my career, or as you say, the first ring of my life of this vertical. And my focus was on the yes. customer experience with me as an individual, as Andrew Aston, That's what I really okay. projected and pushed was that experience. I work for company XYZ, but I'm here to insulate you through this whole process of hiring and the pains of hiring and the pains of people hiring and, and, and you know, cutting your, your, your knuckles on bringing on that person and finding that culture fit. Sure. So, I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, obviously, because as a much younger version of me with a couple of rings under my belt um, and, and small branches, I was very just focused on bringing the business in, bringing in my pool of business, understanding the companies that I was working with. So it was not refined at all. It was pure, hi, get out there, shake hands, okay. meet people, build those relationships. But it was always on the cornerstone of, building the relationship with the client, taking care of the client. And one of the things I did very early on in my career was I was okay saying no. And that's usually very difficult for companies, entrepreneurs, marketing, business people, salespeople. You never want to say no. But it's it's probably your the best tool you can use in your toolbox. Because to say no to a client or to an environment can be the best thing you ever do. Um, because otherwise, you mm. can spend a lot of your time wasting your time, money, efforts, resources on an environment that isn't going to be fruitful, both for your employees, the employer, and yourself. Because it truly is a trifecta. I have an employee, right. right, who wants to hire, right, doesn't know how to get the people. I have employees or references or people that I know that want to get that job, and then myself to get them together, acting truly like an agent. So the beginning of my career was truly just pushing myself out. Now with an organization, we've refined it to it's the process. It's not the individual. So when I speak with my client, it I, I'm very acute awareness that they're not going to have that experience with me recruiting. I cannot physically recruit a thousand people a year to place in a hundred jobs. I can't do it. Right. So we have a team. So our focus 
shifted away from me as an individual servicing to the process, which is the human element process. So whether it's, you know, Maria or anybody else on our team, their process of what they do goes through that human element process. So we know the outcome is going to be that great human resource. They may not get the job, but we know that it's going to be someone that the hiring manager would probably want to hire just on a personal level. And that for Absolutely. us is the process. Okay. okay, great. All right, so we need to push pause on our conversation with Andrew Aston. When we come back from the short commercial break, we're going to turn up the heat on our conversation to talk about the decades he has spent running his staffing and professional services business. Don't go far. Thanks for joining us for this discussion with Andrew Aston, founder of the Human Element Company. We're going to be talking about what the challenges of running a staffing company in 2021 look like. So, Andrew, thanks for, you know, obviously not only coming here, but showing and sharing all of your great insight for your vast knowledge when it comes to staffing agencies, working in, operating, but also I feel like you're in such a unique position because you see multiple sides of this. You see it as a business owner yourself. You see it from the client standpoint as a business owner, but you also see it as a vendor to them. And then you also lived it, breathed it, you know, ate it, slept it as even your staff, as those that are looking to not only find the, the workforce for the clients, but are also working with the clients directly. And then one other level to it is at a certain point, you were that talent out there that someone else was looking for and, and trying to get their hands on. And so you have all of these different, uh, let's call them, let's go back to the analogy of the rings. You have all of these different rings that give you the authority and the expertise, obviously to do what you do very well. Uh, it, but it just fascinates me with your different views on all this that most have kind of the maybe client view and as a business owner only. But you have four, five, six different views to this that gives each one a unique perspective on the whole situation as, as the founder and uh, owner of, of the Human Element Company. So it just... I wanted to take that moment because it dawned on me that it's just you've got this uniqueness to you that a lot of service related businesses, even like ours, don't always have. You have it at so many different levels that it's it's impressive, impressive to say the least. Well, I, I appreciate that. That's no, no, I appreciate that. And that's that's truly the full life cycle and where the human element came from was everybody start. I think people forget that everybody has to go through this process. Everybody had to interview mm. to get a job before they got a promotion. True. CEOs sure. had to fail in business before they became CEOs. Entrepreneurs were more likely to fail multiple times before they have great success, right? So that's the process piece. And yep. that, that really is what drives the human element is we want to ensure 
that we find great people and that they enjoy that process all the way through to starting to work for that client. So true. So for our listeners that are small business owners, yep. what do you recommend is the best approach to recruiting top talent? So you talked about earlier before that mm -hmm. your kind of sweet spot is between that 30 and mm -hmm. up uh, 30 to let's say 500, uh, you know, staff that they already have, or they're looking, maybe they're at 29 and they're looking to get to that 30 or more up and above that. So that's your ideal client, but let's, let's bring it down to the organization that has maybe two or three, five, even, mm -hmm. uh, what mm -hmm. do you recommend is the best approach to recruiting top talent or what they would consider top talent for their needs? who they're trying to find specifically to fulfill a role, help them out, yep. take some of the burden as a business owner off their shoulders. What would you recommend is the best approach? So just to clarify, I, I want to explain that my advice would be the same for a manager of a Fortune 100 company with 200 direct reports or the CEO founder of a startup who's got two employees and wants to grow. Um, both, hmm, every okay. hire that they make are critical. So it would be the same advice. So the advice would be, one, do you have a clear understanding of your culture and what the job is? So make sure you understand the culture and then the actual job duties of that human being. The, the scariest thing to do is to say, this is what I think I need to, you, to bring someone on board that you don't even have really thought out the process of what that person's going to be doing from a stopgap perspective. So have right. a clear understanding of the culture, one, of your culture, of your group, your division, your organization. Two, have a clear understanding of what this job is. Because then you can marry the fact of you have a clear understanding of the job description and of the culture, the expectations are set. Then from a tool perspective, the larger companies may have more budget, the smaller companies, it might all be about budget. But my suggestion would to be use as many tools as possible. First tool, always start with referrals, people you've worked with, family, friends, people, you know, colleagues, it could be fraternity brothers, sorority sisters, anybody within your circle that you think you could impact, always start there. Number two, you want to get that job posted publicly. Whether you're paying for it on job boards, whether you're putting a post up on Craigslist for free, whether you are posting it on your LinkedIn or your Facebook page, okay? That's, that's number two. So you want to get it out there that you are trying to attract someone. Um, and then the third thing is if you have the budget and you can afford it in a lot of startup environments, they don't have the budget, unfortunately. Um, but when sure. they do start to generate revenue, you're going to have a budget for that. And it's critical for you to have those hires because otherwise you can't grow your business. So it's tied. But work with agencies and work with agencies that you're comfortable with or that you know. It could be a distant cousin that fell into recruiting at XYZ company. Reach out to them. They may know someone. But first start, I always tell people, start with your own referrals. Start start that way. There's, I'm amazed at companies that I go into, I start talking to about, and I ask them what their referral program is. 
and I get a pause. Yep. And I'm like, okay, first thing we should do is talk about getting an internal referral program. Incentivize someone to refer someone. And it, I mean, if you don't want to make it monetary, I think people would appreciate a charitable donation in their name or compensate them with a day off work. Right. It doesn't have to be financial. It can be as something as simple, sure. hey, you know, we're going to give you next Friday off. We just need, can you talk to all your, all your friends and see if we need another Josh on our team? How do I get another Josh yep. on our team? So see if there's right. anybody that you know would be a great fit. So that would be a, my advice to, you know, the startup with two employees or the founder looking for his first employee or whether it's, you know, working with a billion dollar company in the space defense and they're trying to hire a bunch of manufacturing design engineers because they've just landed a, you know, multi $367 million radar yep. project for the, you know, the NSA. It's the same advice. You've got to use as sure. many avenues as possible. Excellent advice. All right. So in your opinion, and we talked to you, you actually touched on this a little bit before about company culture. So mm -hmm. certainly my question would be, how important is it in your opinion? And I think I know that answer because you've already stated how important company culture is. But I really want you to focus on on the topic of company culture for a second. And why do you feel that it is so important is the way I would shift the question because you already kind of got ahead of me. You answered the question even well before I asked it. So I shifted to say, why is it so important in your opinion for companies to have a rock solid company culture? I think that the critical thing is human beings, human beings, the best way to describe this is you have, you know, people who are loyal to companies because of culture, right? So, you know, mm. and I, I don't want to really yep. use a military comparison. So let's just use employees. People are incredible. If you think about the most loyal employees in our world, what names pop up? Apple, right? Google. These are companies that have very defined cultures. Because of those defined cultures, it's also had huge success, right? Mm. Now, apply that to a smaller company, and it's just important. As you're building out that company, if everybody's aligned from the cultural perspective and the, the mission statement of that company, again, separate those, the business statement is not the culture of the company. But they can be aligned and people forget about that. You can work for an amazing company and be very profitable and give a lot back to charity or do a lot of things to improve humankind. It is possible to align those. So for me, having someone as a loyal employee is the difference of not having to worry about that 25% attrition rate that every company experiences. Because when you have a solid culture that people buy into, that believe in it, that care about it, that are passionate about it, someone like me or one of my recruiters or sources who contact that person about another opportunity are far less likely to make a move. Even if there's a substantial upside 
either on a runway or on a salary side, they're less likely to make a move from when we're calling and directly trying to head hunt someone out. If they're satisfied and aligned with that culture, they're not looking. They're not even posting the resume because they're right. quite happy where they are. Sure. So that's the incredible yeah. impact of taking the time to really define your culture so everybody is aware of it. I think it's also important to note too that in excellent points all around on that. And in fact, I think you've provided us our our episode title today, which it would would be appropriate to say employee loyalty comes from company culture. Absolutely. And that, that at the heart is what you just defined. But I, I want to take a second to pull something also out of what you said, which was without so so many words, is to say that a lot of small business owners focus and kind of get caught up in this mindset like, well, I can't compete on the level that Fortune 500 companies are able to pay out with the, you know, mm -hmm. extensive 401k plans and investments and, you know, maybe it's medical and all these other expenses go along with it. I just can't compete. But what you're saying is, look, I, I've, I've looked at businesses and clients of ours that are companies the size of 30 or more employees all the way up to the Fortune 100 companies. And the one commonality that you've pointed out is that if you have a rock solid company culture that everyone knows, everyone understands, everyone buys into from day one mm -hmm. of them starting to work there, that it's not about how much you pay or all of the amenities, all the extras that you throw in there. To some people, that's important. But for the true people that you are looking for, the core human, the, the person that is not all about flash, not all about the exterior stuff, that are looking for somewhere that they can wake up every single day and say, I love my job. I love what I do. Yes, absolutely. You got to pay them, you know, a comparable price and, and a wage, but they're a lot more willing to put up with not getting top dollar that maybe they could at some other place because they know that they will miss out on what they have already here. And there's yeah. no replacing that company culture that they fell in love with. A hundred percent agreed. And I, I would never name names of companies because I, I don't besmirch anybody, but I have worked for some sure. of the best cultures and I've also worked in environments where not so much. And let me tell you, when I worked for companies that I truly lived and was my best self because I embodied that culture, one of the companies I worked for a long time ago, um, their mantra was always strive for excellence through serving others. I, it always resonated with me, that saying, because it always said, put yourself, no matter how successful, behind serving and helping someone else. And I, that, that message always resonated. It's always stuck mm -hmm. with me. It's one of the very few companies that I've I I I still remember the exact tagline from you know 15 plus years ago. Um, but something like that yeah. allows employees when they go to work, as you said, they're fulfilled. They get it. They want to be there. They want to increase that. And because of that, the organization is much more likely to succeed. And especially a smaller organization, because as an entrepreneur, you know, as your company grows and the profits come and you get bigger and more responsibility and more revenue, 
that you're going to have to hire more people or you're going to be promoting the people that help get you there. So it builds its own runway of self-serving. But having that from the beginning, that buy-in is just so important to companies and, and people forget it. It's all about, I'm going to look at my P&L or I'm going to look at my clients and this is it. No, you have to have an, a yep. sense of who you yep. are as an organization because then everybody is in that tribe, organization. They feel a part of it. They feel valued. And that translates into how they approach their job and how they interact both professionally and personally. Yeah, very true. All right. So I realize for multiple reasons, you can't name the bad apples out there that have maybe a toxic company culture <laughs> environment. Uh, that, that would not make any sense because you probably still work with some of those to this day. So we're not going to name those. But okay. on the flip side of that, I'm curious, and, and as you stated, you've worked with some of the largest companies all the way down to kind of the mom and pop shops. But which companies have stood out in your mind as being the model of having the best company culture that you have seen? There's not one vertical or one organization that stands out. Um, it's kind of a blend and there's not one attribute either, which is amazing to me because you'd think this would be something you could model after, but every sure. company is so uniquely different. Like I work with multiple manufacturing companies and their worlds couldn't be more different, but their, their cultures are great. Mm -hmm. But what they do and how they do it, they're both in the same field. You'd think you'd be able to kind of like, here's the formula, let's roll it out. But, but companies that have really stood out to me are the leadership always. The, the actual manager or the C-level top down, when they walk the walk and talk the talk yep. of that culture, they're always the ones that stand out consistently. Mm. So – I would take it back not to an organization or a culture. I would put it, all the responsibility back on the leadership of that group, company, division. I've worked with organizations that the overall organization was not enjoyable at all. But because of the leadership of a singular group or division was so strong, it was like working for a, a different organization within a bigger organization. So I, I mean, I could, I, I could tell you that. And I, I've seen it, you know, with mergers and acquisitions of amazing cultures getting absorbed into, you know, bigger and maybe not as friendly or organized and the polar opposite. I've seen smaller organizations get eaten up by a bigger organization, but the culture was so strong in the organization that they ended up permeating, kind of taking over and influencing the bigger organization. So it, it's... It's not really one formula, but so I it will... sounds like it. I, I was just going to say, it sounds like what you have found was not necessarily a formula, not a recipe that you say, do this, do this, do this. And then you have great company culture. But what you have found in hearing what you're saying is that the what you're able to kind of boil it down to and find as a commonality in this whole ecosystem of kind of the perfect company culture is it starts with leadership and then it Always. works its way down. So if the leadership at the Always. very top 
either the team that you oversee. So it's that yep. micro team or it's all yep. the way up at the very top. It starts with leadership and work permeates the way down. And so that leadership has to be, as you said, not only talking the talk, but you got to walk the walk as well. You got to be yep. what you're giving advice and suggestions on doing. You have to be doing yourself and not just one time, but every single day. You've got to be doing it. And then people stop and they watch. They see what's going on and they go, I, I can get behind that. I, yeah. I can do that. I like how this person is. I like how they act. I like how they are with other people. I want to model that. People are are chameleons. They like to mimic each other. Absolutely. And so once you find 100%. who you're attracted to, even, even in the personal world, you find who you're attracted to because, and that draws you in. You want to be like them because oftentimes you yourself are missing that component and you want to be better. Absolutely. That, that's it. A hundred percent. It starts with the leadership of whether it's a group, a division or, you know, from the C-level founder perspective. It's critical. So I, I want you to think back. You know, we talked, we've kind of gone back in time a couple of times in our conversation already, but. I want you to think back when you first started even this staffing agency or the other one that you started before this, you broke free from the corporate world, working for others and, and fulfilling those roles. You were talent scout, finding talent for your clients. You were working with the clients. And then it became at a certain point that you're like, okay, I, I want to do this myself. So Going back to that point that you made that transition over into no longer working for somebody, but now that entrepreneurial spirit, you get the you get the bug, you start dreaming, and then you take that first step and you start the process and going out there. Looking back on that, what was a challenge that stands out in your mind as one that maybe you hadn't planned for? A lot of business owners, we... We try and do everything we can. We research, we we look at the competition, we get our marketing in place, we get our website set up, we get our brochures, our business cards, we got everything ready to go. And we think, okay, I'm walking out that door, I'm ready to conquer the world, I've got everything figured out. I got it all planned for. And then all of a sudden yep. you take one step and then it feels like you fall flat on your face. <laughs> That, that one that you just didn't anticipate, it smacked you really quick, really hard. What was that one thing that kind of stood out in your mind, thinking back and looking back on it, that you really had not planned for and was totally unexpected? I think if I look back um, and shoving off from the proverbial dock as an entrepreneur was the yep. assumption that I would be able as a subject matter expertise to get great people to join our teams and that it would be easy. Mm. That once uh, so I plan essentially what you're saying is that the shoemaker assumed that because he makes everyone <laughs> else's shoes, correct, that he would be just perfectly, it would be so easy to make Correct. your own shoes and you find out otherwise. Correct. So it, that's the perfect analogy. The shoemaker goes, 
oh, I need a pair of shoes to go hiking. Now I, I, I need another pair of shoes. So that would be the one thing yes. that I didn't think of genuinely that caught me by surprise was I've always told clients professionally and candidates how difficult it mm. is to find people. Mm. And then my assumption starting my own color. But that won't be a problem for me. <laughs> right? uh, yeah, that was a big problem. And I think I think it's a challenge that everybody faces, um, you know, with employees. We all have this facade that our, you know, employees should work like owners, except they're not owners. So they're not going to work like employees. Right. And as as an entrepreneur, sure. you realize that very quickly that because you're willing to work 60 hours a week to avoid maybe going to a desk job and working for a bigger company that other people don't want to work 60 hours a week, nor will they. So yep. th that becomes a very apparent very quickly. So you adjust your schedule to that. I, I mean, you're certainly not running an investment bank where everybody's expected to be in the office, you know, 16 hours a day. And that's literally how you're gauged, you know, to become an investment broker, right? Is who can, last the longest, stay the latest, wear the nicest suit. That's a that's a totally different environment. But not all those if, if it was that was the success, all of those people would be incredible entrepreneurs, but they're not. Um you know right. on, jumping yep. out on your own, I think the biggest challenge is is finding people, which is the the solution that I bring to my clients, which is amazing to me that I still struggle finding good people. And in fact my entire team now sure has been 100% from that referral program, every single person. So I practice what I preach. Um, I, you know, we get people because we are doing it, living it, and they want to be a part of it. So that was, that was the one thing I did not see coming hmm. at all. Totally blindsided me. Okay. So I'm sure you probably get this question a lot, but I figure I'd throw it in there, especially from your clients are probably curious uh and, and throwing this one out there but what is the best that you've seen or maybe you came up with it you know this to be a staple but what is the best interview question that an employer can ask one of those potential candidates that you've either brought to them or small mom and pop shop mm -hmm. found that referral but what's that kind of golden question that it's like doesn't matter what the position is that you're hiring for. It doesn't matter, you know, what, how long, if it's temporary work, long-term work, uh, contract, it doesn't matter. What is that one question that is the staple in your mind should always be in every single interview uh, when they're looking to hire? I think it boils down to getting the candidate who's interviewing with you, one, to be in a safe, relaxed environment where they're comfortable, first off. So before we ask a question, okay. let's let's get them to that. Let's get them there first. So um, by interviewing and talking about things that they're comfortable with, that they feel comfortable answering in that environment is going to put them in that place. Once they're there and you can sense that comfort zone, then the must, the golden ticket, golden egg you want to talk about a question is, is to somehow ask them what their interest in your organization or culture is. And the reason that's critical 
is because if that person doesn't have an interest or a curiosity or has taken the time to even look up your organization or try, I mean, even if let's say, for example, you're a founder, right? And this is your first employee. Sure. If, the, if the candidate interviewing says, well, you know, I went on LinkedIn and you only have one employee. I was just wondering, you know, is, is that true? Wow, you've already got someone who's engaged. They've taken the time to do a little bit of research on your organization. Right. The person who you are interviewing, yep. once they're comfortable and you somehow, however you preface it, you don't have to ask the question, do you have any questions about our product? Do you have any questions about our team? Do you have any questions about the location or the job description? It could be a million different ways getting them to talk and engage. That's critical because that's going to show you mm. what you're going to get from an employee. And to be quite frank, the employee who looks you in the eyes goes, I have no questions. They have no questions about taking a, a job. <laughs> right? There's the, the, you've covered everything. And you was, you know, again, the assumption is that the person conducting the interview is comfortable and it's easy for them. Most people who interview are not comfortable doing it, don't know the questions to ask haven't been classically trained with behavioral interviewing questions, what's appropriate, what's not, you know, making someone feel comfortable in that space. It's, can you do right. the job? You know, they're asking very questions, quite frankly, they sh sometimes shouldn't be asking or going down that road. Um, but I think it's, that would be the one golden ticket question is to get that candidate to a comfortable place and then have them switch the hat and have them ask questions about, your organization. It sounds like that two part where it's like, it's not, and I'm glad you prefaced that to say that not just leading right into, Hey, yeah, you want them to ask a question about your organization so that it shows that they've done some kind of research. They've done some kind of looking into that. They are truly interested in it. Not just, Oh, Hey, this job popped up. I figured I'd just apply to it and see if, see if I get right. a job. Well, obviously you don't want that kind of candidate. But I, I like the fact that you established from the beginning. I think a lot of uh, employers or managers that are hiring business owners, I think in some ways kind of like the idea of putting the candidate in the hot seat. Like, oh, I, I'm going to make you sweat. And they, they almost kind of get excited, like jovial about making the person squirm with questions. Right. And it's like, no, I, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. You've been there. You've done that. You, you've interviewed for other people before. Do you like it when someone is trying to make you sweat bullets in a job? Or would you rather set the tone for what they can expect from you into the future if this is truly the ideal candidate? Yeah. Treat every candidate as if they are the one. Right. So do you want to start it off on a good note? Or do you want to start it off on a bad note? I think that's really helpful information because even as I, I go through, it's like, well, you want to throw like curveballs at them and you want to you want to trip them up and see how they think on their feet. And it's like, no, that, that's not. I mean, you have all the answers. So, of course, you're at a major advantage. Exactly. So, there's no doubt. There's no doubt you know about your business. There's no doubt you know about the job that you're looking to hire for. But you need to let them actually show mm -hmm. in some way that, one, they've taken interest in you, taken interest in your organization, 
already did their homework to get to know you a little bit. So they're even that much closer yeah. to being the ideal. So, so for me, just as a general rule, if I'm interviewing someone, whether it's for my clients, for internal or anything else, if there's not one question that they have about the organization, the job, the hours, the equipment, the onboarding, the culture, or if there's no question... I'm politely excusing myself from that interview and being very grateful for them taking the time to do it. But that's not someone who's going to work A, for my clients, or B, for us as a human element company. Because it's it's just not. And I stress again, getting someone to that safe place where they're being their best authentic selves is where you as the future employer, that's the person you want to ask questions and interact with. You don't want someone checking the boxes of where'd you go to school? What was your degree? Can you lift 25 pounds? Have you touched, a, you know, a, a Adobe Illustrator? How many years have you done this? Right. You know what I mean? That anybody can sure. check through those boxes. But getting someone completely sure. in a good environment, would they're comfortable to start asking you questions about where the company is going? All of those things. That's when you're going to find that great person that you're going to want to work with 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week or 40 hours a week. Well, and it's, you're absolutely right too, because if you think about it, if you can get them into that natural, like organic who they are, that's a good indicator. And, and to kind of address the flip side of that's a great way to see who they are after the honeymoon stage has ended of you bringing them on as a new team member, Mm -hmm. Does their demeanor, does their humor, does them just naturally gives you a glimpse into who they are going to be once all of the excitement of very beginning goes away that you might see something you're like, oh, that's not going to work. I mean, yes, you check all the boxes. You're you're definitely qualified. You're definitely talented. You know what you're doing. You speak from expertise. But your personality, yeah. I don't know yeah. if that's going to work. Yeah. And I, I mean, yep. there's a ton of books written about having one toxic person is so dangerous to an organization, both big and small. It's so dangerous. True. And it can, it can impact quarters, two years to change it and, and to fix it. So it, it's hiring yep. is critical. So part of that is exactly what you said, getting yep. that person Absolutely. in there. In their most comfortable position, where they're being the most genuine, authentic human they are, because that's who the person you're going to hire. Yep, absolutely right. All right, well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. I know uh, you carved out a good amount of time to be with us, and we can't thank you enough for coming on Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Uh, Before we wrap things up, I do have a few no pun intended, but burning questions uh, to ask you. Sure. So uh, the first one is, what is it about visual effects that interests you most? Visual effects. At, visual effects. As it pertains to movies or? I'll let that resonate with you. However, your mind, I guarantee you, as soon as I said visual effects immediately went to something and then, then you kind of backtrack to go, well, I don't know if that's really what you're asking here. So yeah, the, let me get clarification. So the visual effects industry, I think, is phenomenal. Okay. I, lo- I love it. 
I think it's uh, incredible, the CGI, what can be done. Um, some of the technology coming out is super scary. Like, I don't even know if you know about these deep fakes where there's, there's a company mm. out of Israel who can literally animate from a picture a relative that had passed on 100 years ago. And literally from that picture, animate, oh, that's crazy. animate the facial movements and start a conversation so you could take a picture of your great-great-great-grandmother, take that picture, and they with – I mean, it's unbelievable. And it would be like you're talking to that person in real time with the facial – the, the technology is amazing. So I am fascinated by it. Um, most importantly by the good that it could do, but I'm also acutely aware of the danger of the technology. Um, you know, identity theft. I mean, they can literally sure. take this video and manipulate it for me to be saying things that I would never say. That's that's scary to me. So it's the double-edged sword. I yeah. love it, that is, but scary. it also scares me. Hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> Yo, that, that uh, spot on, that's where I was going with it. So... I knew you'd pick up on it. I knew I just wanted to go organically and okay. let let it take it where it may go. So, all right, we have been friends for a long time, and I know you are from. And you even talked about it earlier in one of your uh, as you described your first jobs. Uh, but you are from Canada, yeah. Uh, but you do, and I will add this: is more than those that have been born here. I know you to be one that bleeds red, white, and blue all day long, every day. So I, I know you're an American through and through, been here for a long time. But please explain to us, for those that are not aware of it or what it is, but what is poutine? Poutine, that's a, a, a great question. It's a Canadian question. Um, poutine is a delicacy that is combines cheese, gravy, and french fries. And that's really it. Um, you know, mm. it's it's not something you want to eat on a regular basis, but poutine, <laughs> poutine is basically cheese curds put on top of French fries, co okay. covered with gravy. So it, 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 just on on that alone, describing you can't go wrong. I, you, you really can't. I mean, it's uh, I I'm a firm believer that. Cheese can go on practically everything. Uh, gravy can go practically on everything. So you combine those two as staples. And then the thing that you put them on as French fries, that makes complete sense. It, it, is, it was meant to be from day one of cheese being created <laughs> to gravy. And the trifecta came together when French fries were then created. And it's like, Hey, you got cheese over there. You got gravy. We got French fries. Let's, Let's combine them. And, Let's just. And a, a little side them. anecdote on that is they actually have restaurants now in Canada that just serve poutine and like 25 yes. different variations. Yep. And I'm like, it's French fries, cheese, and gravy. How many variations? Can... <laughs> I, I know as you're knowing you for a long time, bacon goes great on everything. So I get you can add bacon. Yeah. But they have yeah. like these elaborate nacho cheese poutine. It's cr like it's gone off the deep end in, in Canada. But poutine is normally French fry truck. You get a little tub, French fries. There's cheese curds, 
and then gravy poured on top and you eat it and it's it's a great treat i i'm hungry just thinking of it so yeah, thank you thank you for that <laughs> um all right so you are a husband mm-hmm. you're a father titan of industry uh and also so many more hats but how do you create for yourself a rock solid work-life balance so this has morphed over the years where it was the 40, 50, okay. 60 hour work week going into the office. But a lot of that I realized was just office politics to be there, to not miss out. So when we transitioned to complete remote, right. the, the, the cautionary tale is there are some weeks where it's 10, 14, 15 days in a row working. But the work-life balance trade-off is if I need to take one of my kids to an event, if I need to spend time with my wife or sit down, the device goes away and I turn off and I'm present. So Mm. the work-life balance has morphed into its work and its life and its balance. So when I'm present, I have to be present because I could stay in my office for 12 hours and miss an entire day out of my real life, even though I'm working remotely from home. And you could, I know you're the same way. You could be up till two o'clock in the morning working on projects and literally miss everything with your, your family life. So the work-life balance has been adjusting that to know when to turn off or to mute and engage with my family because I don't want to miss that. Work is going to be around knock on wood for hopefully a very long time with my organization, with me as an individual. So the, the work-life balance has become more focusing on balancing. The work's always going to be there. You're never going to catch up. You're never going to get ahead. Right. Uh, the life yep. is, with COVID, has really made us all, I think, take a breath because we're all surrounded by the, the stay-at-home family core or as an individual yep. going self-introspective. Yep. So I think it's just balancing it and, and, and do what's best both, both for yeah. my sanity, my family's sanity, and obviously getting the job done. I mean, if I have to work, I have to work. And, you know, my family's adjusted to it that if a phone call sure. comes in and it's a client or a candidate and it's critical, I'll excuse myself and go handle that. But otherwise, I'm not sitting there right. with the device in my head and ignoring life going around yep. me. I, I think the 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 points you, you hit them all on, but the ones that really resonated with me was, uh, you know, yes, you you have intentionality with the time that you're spending either in work or in personal life, and you don't let the two kind of wade in or kind of come into each other. It's like, nope, this is lifetime, being personal life, family, marriage friendship, relationships, whatever. And then this one over here is business. And so you keep them very separate. Even in like what you're describing, where if there's a call comes in, someone might go, yeah, but what do you do in that situation? Well, you still have intentionality and have established rules of engagement, so to Mm -hmm. speak, to say, if this happens, everyone that is a part of my life knows that I have to take that call. Yeah. But starting even with establishing what your schedule is going to be like, 
because you can't really adjust things, especially when you're first getting started as a business owner. Obviously, there everyone knows you have to put in a lot of extra time. Yeah. But like you pointed out, you have time that everyone is awake, that your family's awake, mm-hmm. kids, marriage, whatever. And you're going to make sure that you spend the family time or the quality time while they're awake and you can make up for the hours or the time that you missed. Just be intentional with your time. Prioritize properly. Make sure that the time that you have awake, that is also client time, that you're not saying, well, I have to do phone calls and I'll do that at 2 a.m. Well, the clients aren't awake. The clients aren't working at 2 a.m. So you've got to do the juggle and you've got to make the adjustments in order to properly do it. Another thing that's that's really good to share is, especially for those small business owners just starting off, the thing I wanna point out that you said was, it's constantly changing yep. because your life is changing. You might start off your business as a solo, like the, yep. you got, you're dating, you're not married, you have no kids. And so your life looks vastly different than when, and especially running the business, you have a lot more time on your hands. But then once you get into a serious relationship, which turns into marriage or whatever, that now you have to carve out more time for other personal stuff, but you make it and you adapt it and you adjust it and change it. Every stage of your life, you have to continually be looking at your calendar go, does this work for me? And what's most important to me right now? And are my priorities in check? So- yeah, excellent, and it's, it's, excellent feedback. You just got to you got to balance it with where you are in your life cycle. Exactly what you said. In exactly. going back to your analogy yep. of the tree rings, is as those rings grow and evolve, your work life balance is going to grow and evolve, and your expectation. And it's so just it's yep. okay to change it. You just the intentional Absolutely. focus has to be there of when you are working, you are focused on getting things done that need to get done. And then prioritize what can be done later or what can you do, as you said, follow up, you know, as you stay on your computer station till three o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, it's my best time. It's my quiet time. No one's bugging me. Right. <laughs> All right. So I know you again, as, as being a longtime friend of yours, I know you to be an avid fan of Buffalo wings. So yes. What is the hottest buffalo wing you have ever had that jumps into your memory? Is like that I you don't even need to go any further. I know exactly when that was. It was on this date. It was in this restaurant, and that by far just I regret it still to this day. But it was also memorable. Uh, the tandoori wings in Pasadena at the Indian restaurant, which I think you actually tried. Uh, I think I tried like a little sliver of it, it. So I didn't get as much of the full impact that you got. But uh, yes, I, I do remember vividly that. Uh, that those are those, the hottest, hottest wings. wings that I've ever had in my life. Hands down. So to be clear, th- this restaurant, uh, Akbar yeah. is the name of the restaurant. Uh, they used to be in Pasadena. Have they- I think they have moved to... Los Angeles, I, I don't, think now. I don't even know if they've somewhere. survived the pandemic. I'd, I'd have to look them up. I'd, I I don't know either. So we're going to have to look it up. But I, you know what? It, it is a little interesting to me that the hottest buffalo wings, mm-hmm. which is arguably one of America's iconic staples, mm-hmm. 
uh, has the title of hottest wing in Andrew Aston's world at an Indian restaurant 100%. in Southern California. So that I think in itself is impressive <laughs> that uh, if you, you got to check out Akbar. And, and if, if you just want around, hot sauce, I, I sure I surely hope they do. Dave's Insanity Sauce, I think yeah. it's about 9 million Scoville. Be very careful. It it, it literally takes two drops to yeah. heat up a bowl, like a big bowl of chili. Ah, yeah, no, that does not sound pleasant one bit. So <laughs> I, I will take you at your word. We will all take you at your word for that one. Uh, all right. So last two questions. We always ask our guests this, and it's always fascinating to me of what these answers are. But let's start with the book. Uh, what is the last book that you read? It can be an audio book. It can be a children's book. I know you're a family man. So uh, it's it's whatever book you just last read or you're currently in the midst of reading. What is that book? And it does not have to be a business book by any means. No, 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 no. It's, it's interesting enough. One of my clients actually gave me a book. Uh, it's called The Ideal Team Player. Um, and okay. Uh, he he. This is how he runs his organization, talking about culture and and it it goes into exactly what a company culture is and how incredibly important every hire is. It's it was actually quite a good read. I've I've read a lot of books, um, you know, organizational training, but that was the last one that I finished. Um, I'm actually looking. I don't have okay. a book that I'm reading now at the moment. Um, I uh, got caught up on uh, some Netflix shows that I've been uh, meaning to knock out. So um, <laughs> I'll have to pick up another book that okay. I'll read at some point. But yeah, that was the last the last book that I read. Okay. Uh, last question is, what is your go-to quote? This is the one that, you know, kind of feeling a little down and out, uh, getting burned out by the Maybe the clients that you're working with that are just asking for way too much. There is no uh, actual Superman that exists out there and they're asking for one. Or uh, maybe it's the candidates that are like, hey, I want with any job offer that I go into, I want there to be in the contract a uh, Lamborghini in this color, uh, <laughs> always available for me to drive around. And you're just pounding your head against the table. And you're just you're you're super frustrated. So I, I'm yeah. looking for that quote that gets you back on. It can be tattooed on you. It can be uh, maybe up on the wall, framed. It can be by the bedside table. In answering that, yeah, in answering that question, the quote always never give up. Um, that's a that's a, that's a family quote. It's I I use it with my kids, with my teenagers, with my wife. With me, it's very easy to say, I can't do this, or it's difficult. It's always easy. Never, ever give up. It, for human beings, for entrepreneurs, for people working, just don't. Because that one bad hour, day, week, month, year can't let you stop for your purpose, whatever that purpose is that you're driving. And it, I, I just mean it to anyone. Don't give up. Never give up. Always keep striving. Perfect. That's an excellent one. And that, that is a, a great way to end our, our show today with you. So uh, while Andrew and I continue our conversation, visiting nightradioshow.com. Look for this very episode. There you can hear our entire conversation, 
how to get in touch with them, learn more about the Human Element Company, including additional resources available for their staffing and recruiting services and other information we've been discussing today. I hope the information that Andrew Aston shared today helped light the fuse inside of you and ends up taking your business to the next level. I'd like to thank our guests today, our production team, our engineering team, and most of all, all of you listening. Until next week, I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Have a great and successful rest of the week, everybody.